If you have a Bible with you, which I hope you do, get to the book of Proverbs, in the middle of your Bible, right after Psalms. Uh, we are in, currently in a two-month series preaching through this book and preaching from this book. We're going to read several Proverbs today. They'll be up on the screen. I'd encourage you, whether you mark them in your Bible or on the back of your program, but to make note of them because we're going to be kind of all over the book. Here's a question to ask one another after the service to get to know each other. What was your first official job? Now, I'm not talking about household chores. I'm not talking about a household allowance or daily allowance or uh, doing the laundry, mowing the yard, cleaning, those kind of things. I'm talking about where did you first get that steady wage or someone had to give you a W-2 at the end of the year? What was your first job? For me, I quit my first job on the first day I started that first job. Yeah, and you're like, why, are you, why am I going to listen to you about a topic of work? You're going to listen to the Lord, listen to the Lord's Word. But it was during the summer, and I wanted to learn more about construction, so I tried to get on at a couple places locally. I was content to be a, a grunt and simply learn from observing and laboring. I showed up to the first day of work 15 minutes early, because that's on time, by the way, uh, with my tool belt already, drove up to the house that I was going to be working on that I thought got out, I was told to go to a nearby field instead where I would be told what to do. So I drove over there thinking I'm going to find a house over there and drove over there and I found uh, a field with a large rocks around it and my job was to go pick up the large rocks and then pile them up over there. So I did that by myself for the entire morning and Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Well, I didn't argue with the person who told me to do it, but I certainly grumbled during that entire morning. So I didn't, uh, so it, it came up to um, lunchtime and lunchtime I still had not seen a two by four or a sheet of OSB or a household anywhere in sight. So at lunch, I had to find a landline, by the way. I called the other construction company that I had applied for. They still had in the opening, uh, 10 cents more an hour, mind you, boom, okay. <laughs> I think I was 4.95 or 5.15. I different uh, numbers stick in my head. So I quit my job, my career as a rock picker-upper. Uh, at the end of that day, started the other job. The next day, learned a lot about construction that summer and uh, loved that summer. So I quit my first job on the first day that I'd started. Don't follow my lead, okay? On average, we'll spend about half of our life on earth at a job. If you worked 40 years for 40 hours a week for 52 weeks a year, that's 83,000 hours. Mind you, a lot of us work more than 40 years. A lot of us work more than 40 hours a week. This is a huge area of our lives. And by God's grace, His Word speaks to these areas, including here in Proverbs, helping us get a picture how we as God's people are called to work and work in a way that glorifies and reflects Him. When we think about work, I want to briefly talk about two lies that we sometimes believe about work. First of all, lie number one is that work is a result of the fall of man. So we wrongly assume that work is a part of the curse of the fall. So that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, He punished them with work, we wrongly think. And we have, being descendants of Adam and Eve, we must live then with the consequences. The truth is, though, that Work was 
one of God's first assignments to Adam. It was part of the creation order that the, that the Lord had said was very good. God had ordained work before the fall or sin ever happened. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. That's chapter 2. Sin doesn't enter the picture until chapter 3. Work is not the result of sin, but rather work was a part of God's original creation. Now what the entrance of sin and human rebellion has done is make work difficult, toilsome, stressful. Work is already, was always to be a part of God's design, and it will be in eternity as well. When the Lord restores and makes all things new, we will work in eternity, praise God, but it will lack any sort of sweat or stress or struggle because sin will be no more. We won't grow tired of it. How sweet will that be? The second lie that we sometimes believe about work is that work is not worship. According to this myth, work is worldly. In other words, there's, there's secular work over here, there's, there's sacred work over here. So what the welder does is not as important as what the pastor does, so the myth goes. Or what the teacher in public school does is not as important as what the teacher in Sun Chasers or Hype or the local church does. Or what the nurse, underwriter, farmer, data analyst, business owner does. Well, that's worldly, that's secular compared to what the full-time vocational missionary in Papua New Guinea does. That kind of thinking runs completely contrary to Scripture, though. Instead, as believers in Christ, our work, faith, life, it's all interwoven. There are no silos of separation. There is no, well, on Sunday mornings I worship, and then I'm off from worship for six days, and then I just go to work. Or, well, the church staff member, boy, they, they really worship during the, during the week. But I, I just take care of kids or manage projects or analyze data. Rather, the truth is, for the follower of Jesus, all of life is worship, including how we work. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So brothers and sisters, what you do for work has value. No matter where we work, what we do, how much we get paid or don't get paid, who sees or who doesn't see our work, our ultimate purpose is to, in work is to bring glory to God. Heather told this to our kids growing up as they left for different activities, whether it was uh, sports or school or work. She would say to them, worship well. She still says this to them. She was trying to remind them of the ultimate audience that whatever they do to work at it with all their heart, their ultimate audience was the Lord, not for the people around them. So in the workplace, we want to worship well as the people of God. So how do we do that? Well, Proverbs helps give us a picture of how to do that. And what Proverbs does is, is in, the, in the subject of work, is contrast two attitudes. Contrast the lazy and the diligent. The lazy is how the foolish work. The diligent is how the wise work. So first of all, let's look at some descriptions of the lazy so that we might recognize these and repent from these attitudes and actions that we're all prone to. The names given in the... The names given to the term of lazy in, in Proverbs, depending on your translations, is everything from slothful to the sluggard to the slacker, none of which are seen in a positive light. I want to look at four characteristics of the slacker. They are prone to an unwillingness to work. 
they're prone to be full of excuses. They're prone to serve themselves, not others in their work. And finally, they are prone to be mere talkers and not workers. So first of all, they have this bent, this propensity and unwillingness to work. Proverbs 13.4, the slacker craves, yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. Proverbs 20, verse 4, the slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time, he, he looks and there is nothing. In the slacker, they are prone to want the rewards of hard work without doing the hard work. They crave for the benefit and yet are unwilling to pursue the work that leads to the benefit. The slacker is also inclined to have plenty of excuses as to why they can't work. Proverbs 26, 13 through 16. The slacker says, there's a line in the road, a line in the public square. A door turns on its hinges and a slacker on his bed. The slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He is too weary to bring it to his mouth. In his own eyes, a slacker is wiser than seven who can answer sensibly. So what's that saying? It's listing four different types, types of excuses. Well, I can't make it to work today because there's, there's a lion or ins, insert any sort of absurd excuse you can come, come up with. There's a lion in the road. Or I need to stay in bed today and, and time in bed is as consistent as a door swinging on its hinges. I'm just too exhausted. I can't even lift a spoon of cereal up to my mouth, let alone do my job. Oh, I'm too smart for that task. I'm too smart for that job, that company. I'm unwilling to do something lesser than my qualifications or job title. I'm above that work, is that last verse. The slacker is an excuse maker, and they have a spreadsheet full of options to choose from. Next, the slacker, when they do work, they're prone to work for themselves, not for the benefit or good of others. The, the foolish don't care about loving their neighbor, only loving themselves. Proverbs 10.26 like vinegar, in the te- or like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the slacker is to the one who sends him on an errand. No one has sat around a campfire in the history of campfires with smoke rolling in their eyes and said, this is, this is a blessed experience. Please put more wood on the fire. I know smoke, smoke follows beauty, but I, so I'm going to sit here and just soak it up with eyes wide open. When you ask a slacker to do something, that's their attitude toward it, though, is like smoke burning in the eyes or vinegar, a bitter taste. Instead of bringing blessing, it's, it's a bitter or burning type of response. Proverbs 18.9 says, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who, who destroys, meaning work done in a slack manner is as good as a piece of work that will later be destroyed. Because, for instance, the slack carpenter Plumber, electrician, welder, they don't care about others as they do their work. They, they're just in it for themselves. They're not in it for 50 years down the road or 20 years down the road or for the next person or to serve others. They just want to serve themselves. Finally, slackers are prone to talk more and work less. Proverbs 14.23 says, There is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. When we're just talking and not working, it doesn't lead to benefit or reward, but toward poverty. Less talky-talky, more worky-worky, right? Now, as we've looked at these characteristics, an unwillingness to work, full of excuses, their attitude at work is bitter, 
and burning, not a blessing to others. It's just endless talking. Raise your hand if you have someone in mind. Those of you, it, it could be in your past. Raise your hand if you have someone in mind. Wow, some of you, your work experience is awesome. You didn't raise your hand. Wow, okay, that's awesome. That's great. I have plenty of people in mind, especially from my corporate America days of 10 plus years. We can all think of other people. But loved ones, don't stay there. Don't stay there. Don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself laterally to someone else and think, I'm clearly the most diligent person on the planet compared to them. And we puff up with self-righteousness as a result. Instead, ask the Lord to search your own heart as it relates to your attitudes and your actions at work because as disciples of Jesus, we're, we're comparing ourselves vertically to the Lord growing up into Him. So, so in your own life, where are you prone to make excuses? Where, where's there a bent to, I just, I'm, I'm unwilling to do that. Are you, is there a bitter or burning tendency in your own attitude as it relates to work and not a blessing to others? What does Proverbs have to say about the diligent? If those are the habits of the slacker, what are the habits of the diligent? In Proverbs 6, we see the metaphor given to contrast the slacker and the diligent. And the metaphor is, the, is a picture of ants. And in this picture, the slacker is to learn from the ant, which illustrates what diligent work looks like. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little, slump, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. And looking at the ant, what do we learn about diligent work? What are some habits? Not all, but what are some habits of how the wise work? I want to talk about three. Verse 7, the wise worker has initiative. They're not always waiting on someone else to tell them what to do. They have the ability to lead themselves. And they don't need someone over them all the time saying, do this, okay, now do that, and do this, and now do that. And they have initiative. Verse 8, the wise worker prepares. They think ahead. They anticipate what is coming. They prepare accordingly. So they have the uh, ability to, to see beyond today's work or maybe their little realm of work. They see the bigger picture, the vision that the organization, the company, is, is pursuing and how their part plays a, a part in that. Verse 9, the wise workers discipline with their time. There's a time to work and there's a time to rest and the wise and the diligent know the difference. And not only does Proverbs describe how the wise work, but we also see that the reward comes to those who are diligent and pursue to work in the way of wisdom. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5 says, Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. The son who gathers during summer is prudent. The son who sleeps during harvest is disgraceful. Proverbs 12, 14, A person will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the work of a person's hands will reward him. In this case, the reward to the diligent is that of provision. The needs of the diligent are met. And provision comes not overnight, but through steady, faithful, hard work in season, out of season, 
when the Lord created the heavens and the earth and all that was in them, throughout Genesis 1, the continual refrain is God saw that it was good. God created and God saw that it was good over and over and over. And then at the end of chapter 1, verse 31, we read, God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. It's not just tangible physical reward and provision we experience when we are diligent. It's also the intangible, internal moment to stand back, have this moment of after diligent work and say, it's good, it's good. As God's people, we were made in His image and likeness. And so when we have those moments of seeing our work as good and experiencing that internal reward, we are reflecting how the Lord walked through creation. We are reflecting the Lord in that. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. Or Proverbs 12.11, which also is said in 28.19, The one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. Notice it's not just the diligent hands that lead to provision, but also the plans of the diligent. The wise worker is not to be marked by recklessness or irresponsibility. Whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. A fantasy is never achieved. I'm not saying you should not have big dreams to pursue in your life. I'm talking about make-believe, imaginary, get-rich-quick type of schemes that promise to you reward without the need for labor or diligence. Like work one hour a day, make six figures. What kind of unicorn land is that? It's completely contrary to what Proverbs would speak to. There's a vast difference between working the land and chasing after fantasies. Diligent work leads to plenty where our needs are are met, let alone the opportunity to meet the needs of others. See, there's a sequence to the work of the diligent and how the wise work. Listen to Proverbs 24, 27. Complete your outdoor work and prepare your field afterward, build your house. Work precedes reward. Get in the fields, get them ready, work the land, get dirty, be faithful, plant the crops, harvest the crops, set aside the money, and after all that, then build your house. See, in both our own flesh, let alone the world we live in, we are often told that we are entitled to things, whether we are told that or we just believe that because of our own flesh. That even if we did not earn them or have, or have done hard work to, to earn them, we are entitled to what we want when we want it. And Proverbs 24, 27 reminds us that first we work hard. We put in the hours. We're disciplined about setting aside the money. We get a plan in place. We don't expect things just to be given to us without work. The wise know that work precedes reward. Reward is the continual promise to the, dil- to the diligent. Listen to Proverbs 12, 24. The diligent hand will rule, but laziness will lead to forced labor. So what's the reward promise there? It's that of responsibility, trust, leadership. The diligent workers often given more responsibility and trusted with more because they've proven themselves faithful in the little. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, I don't see that as a reward. Because more seems to be coming onto my plate for the same amount of pay because the slacker over there. Maybe you're experiencing that. I don't know. I'm not, by the way. It's pastoral and staff. I'm not. Okay, I just want to 
And you're like, is he talking? About? No, no, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about you, not me. Okay? Just need to clarify that. So maybe you're thinking, this doesn't seem like a reward. That more is coming onto my plate for the same amount of money because that person over there is not pulling their weight. If I can just encourage you, trust the word. Trust the Lord in that. If you're being entrusted with more in the workplace, it reveals that you're worshiping well in the workplace. The Lord is being glorified by your diligence. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. And the Lord is for his sons and his daughters. Now, potentially, at this point in the message, you might be thinking, okay, uh, don't be the slacker. Be the ant instead. Let's go have lunch. Good, great. But remember, as believers in Christ, we are to be centered on the gospel of God's grace. And so our lifelong pursuit is to become more like Jesus, to grow up into him who is the head of the body. So don't see the end goal as be like the ant, don't be like the slacker. The end goal of our lives is to be more like Jesus, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to be devoted to him where he has our affections and our allegiance In order to do that, according to the word, we must have no other gods before the one true God, meaning we must turn from idolatry. And as it relates to the area of work, there are idols that we are all tempted to try and worship. The idol of sloth and sluggard and slacker is most certainly a snare that we must turn from. But it's not the only idol in play here. We can also easily make the pursuit of diligent work an idol. And frankly, in our culture, especially here in small town, Midwest culture, fields all around us, such an idol is often culturally accepted, even admired and esteemed. It's the idol that I'm bent toward, as are many of you. Because thus far in this message, quietly you've thought, amen, 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 some of you. And that reveals something about us where we are trying to get from our jobs, our vocations, our careers, we are trying to get from them what we are ultimately designed to get from the Lord. So, for instance, we look to our jobs for our ultimate security and joy rather than the gospel. We look to our jobs to give us that affirmation or acceptance that we, that we really are supposed to get ultimately in the gospel. This is why we must find our identity not in what we do or the title that we have or the title that we are pursuing, but in who we are in Christ because jobs and careers can and will change over the years. What doesn't change is who we are in Jesus. That through faith alone in Him, by grace alone, we are saved and redeemed and loved and justified and forgiven and accepted, and secure, and set apart, and set free, and on, and on, and on. Those are eternally unchanging realities that must anchor us as we work. The world will often ask the question, so what do you do for a living? It's not a bad question, but it's not the first question that we must consider as believers who are pursuing wisdom in the Lord. Who we are in Him comes first. Who we are in Him shapes and transforms what we do for a living. My name is Dave. I would usually say I'm one of the pastors here. And I'll continue to say that because I'm not going to go through five minutes of devotional time talking about the identity of work every Sunday morning. But ultimately, my name is Dave. I'm in Christ. 
I'm a follower of Jesus, a disciple of his. That's who I am. That's who I was when I worked 10 years at State Farm. And currently, I serve as a pastor in a local church and a boys basketball coach in a local school. That's what I do for a living. It's not who I am. It's not who I am. Because jobs, careers, and vocations change. In Christ, never changes. Never changes. And out of that unchanging identity in Jesus, out of a heart that has been made new, that is now seeking to live out the great commandment, to love the Lord, love others, out of that identity, I pursue diligence in my work in a way that would worship the Lord well and reject the idolatry of slothfulness as well as workaholic tendencies. Bob Schultz writes in his book, Created for Work, the grand quality of diligence, which is essential when you begin working, turns a man or a woman into a workaholic, if not balanced. The freedoms that bless the industrious become snares when given to selfish pleasure. The diligent are tempted to forget God, trust in riches, and look down on the poor. What once was the reward of hard work quickly transforms resources to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Be on guard. God designs the diligent to collect resources and talents with a goal to use them in an appropriate season for good. As always, Jesus leads us by his example. As always, it is Jesus who we are seeking to become like by his grace, spirit, and word. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has called us to pursue diligence, but not at the expense of forgetting the Lord, trusting in money, finding our satisfaction in earthly stuff, or looking down on others with a self-righteous, haughty, arrogant spirit. The Lord has called us to love Him well in our work and worship Him well in our work. He's called us that in whatever we do, to work at it with all our hearts as working for the Lord, not for people. And I have good news, my fellow workers. The gospel of God's grace follows the same sequence. Work precedes reward, but not our work. But not our work, is it? Jesus, our Savior, was born of a virgin, lived the sinless life, died upon the cross, paying the full price of our sin and its penalty, rose again on the third day, conquering the schemes of the devil and darkness and death, and later ascended to heaven. One day is returning in glory for His people. His saving work was sufficient to save anyone who would put their faith and trust in Him. His sufficient work was accomplished while we were still chasing after ungodliness and sin. So now through faith alone in Him, not by our works, but faith in His work, we might experience the reward, the benefit, the gift of abundant life in Christ, eternal life in Him, the reward of knowing Jesus Christ, not as simply judge, but as our Savior, as our friend. Knowing Him and being known by Him, that's the reward that we experience thanks to His work. He's given us new life in Him so that we might, might live for Him alone in whatever we do. Your work matters, brothers and sisters. How you work matters. Your attitude at work matters. All your unspokens matter at work. And everything spoken at work matters. Consider the kingdom impact, the missional witness that Christ-following disciples would have in the realms of 
government, in science, in technology, business, construction, medicine, the local church, the local family, education, media, the arts, consider the God-glorifying impact that would result as sons and daughters of the Father, anchored to their unchanging identity in Jesus, pursue to worship well in whatever you've been called to do. Whether you get paid for it, whether you don't get paid for it, whether anyone sees it or everyone sees it. Simply working for the glory of the one who has called you his own. That leaves a kingdom impact. And the God who has saved us gets the glory as a result. Father, I pray that you would enable us by your Spirit's power, by the indwelling of the Spirit to worship well in whatever you've called us to do. God, that you would lift our eyes unto you as we serve, as we work, that we would recognize the witness that we are in the workplace. The role of missionary that we play out in the workplace. The role as brother or sister in Christ that we play out in the workplace. Enable us to worship well. Thank you that your sufficient work has set us free. Set us free to no longer serve ourselves, but to serve you and serve our neighbor and love you and love those around us. May you get the glory by how we work and how we pursue you ultimately in all things. We trust you. We depend upon you. Be glorified through our way of life. We pray this in your name. Amen. Galatians 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. And then skipping down to verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I pray that we would work this week with that heavenly citizen of heaven mindset, this heavenly view. This life is quick. And so in whatever we've called, been called to, that we would worship well in the hours that we've been given to do so.